0: Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way, patients and survivors, caregivers, and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 177 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me this week. We have an interesting guest this week. Her name is Jeanette Carbajal, and you can follow Jeanette on Instagram at healing underscore mindset underscore, or by visiting her website at Jeanette Carbajal, that's C-A-R-B-A-J-A-L dot com, Jeanette Carbajal dot com. Jeanette is a professional leadership and disease coach for C-suite executives and educator on disease culture. We had an interesting conversation talking about healing and what does healing mean and the difference between healing and cure, as well as much, much more. So join me now for my conversation with Jeanette Carbajal. Jeanette, welcome to We Have Cancer. Thank you so very much for joining me this evening. You know, I, I was looking at your Instagram handle, and as I mentioned in the intro, folks want to check you out on Instagram, it's healing underscore mindset underscore, and I want to talk about the word healing.
1: Yeah.
0: What, is, what does healing mean to you?
1: It's a process of coming back home to yourself.
0: Tell us more about that.
1: I feel when we step away from who we really are, who we want to be, and that fullest expression of ourselves is when we are opposite of healing, we're not healing. and When we're able to come back home to ourselves, healing just naturally happens. It is really what nature's all about. It's how we're wired to be.
0: So oftentimes when we think of healing, I know through the, I've lost count now, how many treatments and surgeries I've been through. But when we think of healing, perhaps we often interchange that word with recovery, Mm -hmm. right? So I had my surgery. The doctor said it's going to take six weeks to recover. I go back to work. Does that mean I'm healed?
1: Mm. You tell me. How did you feel?
0: (laughs) For me, usually yes. But does, does healing have to only happen as a result of a procedure or treatment or anything like that?
1: No, absolutely not. Healing can happen in a second when you forgive someone.
0: Oh, okay. A different way to look at it.
1: Healing can happen when you come to terms with your past, okay. ex- accept a new truth. Mm-hmm. Healing can happen in so many layers and levels. And the way surgery happens, it's, it's really taking something that could potentially be foreign or harming us out of our body that allows us to be closer to our fullest expression of ourselves, quote-unquote healing.
0: I love it. One of the many things that you do is you work with medical professionals, correct?
1: Yeah, that is a part of what I do.
0: So where did you see, what what motivated you to get into that piece of the work that you do? What was the opportunity that you saw?
1: So I was asked to do it. So when I was working with a lot of my clients, some of their practitioners, or I had two wellness centers that I was a part of, and all the practitioners just kept coming up to me like, how do you handle burnout? Because I can't handle it. How do you support or protect yourself from compassion fatigue so that you can still be empathetic, yet be able to go home at night and not feel like you need to cry out loud to everyone? And I was just approached by all of them. And they would say, could you coach me too? And then it just became a natural exchange where my clients would also tell their oncologists or nurse practitioners, their naturopaths uh, about me. And they're like, well, I want to know what this girl's all about because uh, there's, go- there's got to be more to it. And the, just the same, I guess, the same way that everybody sees me after they talk to me, I'm like, oh, she's just a regular compassionate person that just has an inside look as to what the oncology, both sides of the oncology world might look like.
0: And talk a little bit more about the work that you do, Jeanette, in terms of how you help uh, medical professionals, especially, I mean, you can't turn on the TV right now and not see just the emotions on the faces of frontline workers who are dealing with COVID, right? Tell us about some of the work that you do to help uh, these people who are so important to the lives of so many? So
1: the same work that I've done with my private clients is the same work that I do with the medical professionals. And since COVID has hit, um, I in the beginning when the coronavirus hit Northern America, um, I actually supported an entire floor of nurses. Um, one of my clients actually ended up creating a group program where she just had me come and talk to them. And what we talked about and what we were able to uncover was just finding the things that we can control, finding the gratitude within the moment, and how can we do the next thing with a little bit
0: more pleasure and ease. So, if we had, and and we often do have medical professionals that listen to the show, could you dig a little deeper and just, you know, without giving away your your your, your business here, but uh, some tips, some suggestions on you know how do you come home at the end of the day and not have that you know feeling emotionally drained uh you know especially when you're talking about oncology and and uh the the one that hits home for me is people who work in pediatric oncology my goodness you know what is what are some of the you know ways uh, that that you can help in ways that uh, people can help themselves
1: Okay, so I'll talk about three, I'll talk about three points. The first point would be boundaries. Um, It would be burn off and it would be the spark. So we'll talk about it. So the first part is when you step into your line of work where you know what could potentially, what conversations could potentially come through. It's almost as if you get a finger, you get your finger and you just draw a line through that door and be like, I'm stepping into a work version of Jeanette or the work version of Lee. Okay, I am going to show up as a different version of myself. When I'm not in that role, no matter what uh how people identify, we are in an alpha role. When you are at work, you are in an alpha role. It's a little bit different than your what some people will call submissive role at home. It, it just really depends. Um, so just naming it and declaring it, separating saying anything that I'm worried about from home, putting it on a shelf or leaving it in the car. And then being able to have that threshold from your car to your front door as a cool off and a burn off period to letting go anything else that can potentially get in your way. Asking yourself three questions. Did I eat well? Uh, Am I hydrated enough? And did I get sleep? If you said you're okay for all those three, then is there any conversations that need to happen before I step into my workplace so I can fully feel um, at peace, grounded, to do the necessary work I need to do. So that's kind of like the energetic boundaries. That's even before going into work.
0: If you're looking for a way to add a little bit of style to your look, check out my buddy Neil's company, Toma Gear, at shoptoma.com. Neil and his team have curated a wonderful selection of affordable luxury men's and women's watches, men's and women's sunglasses, as well as men's beaded bracelets. I'm wearing a couple of those bracelets right now. I've got a couple of pairs of sunglasses coming to me shortly. And you really want to check out the collection from Toma Gear. Great, exciting, just styles that I know that people will stop you and go, where'd you get that? Because these are not just your ordinary everyday looks when it comes to watches, sunglasses, and beaded jewelry. Neil has been generous enough to offer listeners of the We Have Cancer podcast a 25% discount. All you have to do is use the promo code W. H C 25. Again, that's W H C 25 and you'll get 25% off the already fantastic prices. Once again, check out Toma gear at shoptoma.com. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. So let's dig into those three pieces, eat, Hydrate and sleep. First off, why are those three so important?
1: It's as important to us as it is for plants and the world and anything that is living. It is the basic necessity that we need to gift ourselves with.
0: Where do you see the biggest opportunity or do you in terms of, let's start with eat what are some of the common mistakes people make? Is there anything different outside of the everyday diet, you know, fatty food, sugar, blah, blah, blah? Or are there specific things that you've seen that have uh, had a more positive impact on people?
1: Yeah, I would say the two things would be to check check in with yourself. Like, Is there anything that that is bothering me before I eat? The worst thing we can possibly do is we could be eating the perfect diet for our blood type and for our body and for our condition- but if you are worried about what's happening at home, finances, you will literally not be able to assimilate your nutrition. Your body will reject it and cause it to come out.
0: Okay. So, he-
1: so it's being into your parasympathetic nervous system. So I always call it toning your food. For some people, that's a prayer. And they say, amen. For some people, it's just going, oh, which actually regulates your uh, stomach so that it can be in a neutral place. For others, it's just putting two hands together to connect your right and left brain so that you can be at one with yourself in peace, be in that grounded present moment. So that's what I find the biggest opportunity. It's people are everywhere else in their mind and in their head rather than focusing on their food. And then once you're in the meal, just make love to your food. Like This is the best salty flavor, crunchy flavor. Just fall in love with your food again.
0: So- have more of a relationship as opposed to just putting stuff in your mouth, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Talk about hydration. Um, where do you see the biggest opportunity for people there?
1: Water is really controversial. So instead of talking about quality of water, I'm going to talk about just the state of what you need to be in to drink water. You should, one, remember that we are drinking recycled water since the beginning of time and to have a lot of respect for it. A lot of people say, oh, water is so boring. I'm like, water is how we live. Water is the reason we're here. It's the same water our grandparents and our lineage have been drinking. It's just recycled and brought back down and filtered and cleaned over and over again. So just understanding the intelligence that water has, uh, drinking it at room temperature and not cold so your body can again assimilate it to the most optimal level. And all too often if you're hungry, sometimes you might just be thirsty. So making sure that you have checked your thirst levels before diving into some Cheetos or something else.
0: <laughs> Is it true that they say when you feel thirsty, you're, that's already, you're already past the point? You're already in need of hydration?
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, depending on how you respond to trauma, especially those in oncology, so depending on how you respond to trauma, your body stores water in different areas.
0: And then my favorite topic, sleep. I know for me, I have no trouble most of the time falling asleep, but why is it I roll over and I see the clock and it's always 3 a.m.? It's like, what is going on that my body wants to wake up uh, three, three, three and a half hours sooner than I'm supposed to? And I'm sure I'm not alone.
1: So you just said it. Why does my body wake up at 3 a.m.? It's almost as if you're asking it to. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I've had clients, I've told me the same thing, Jeanette, two o'clock in the morning, I have to go to the bathroom and I can't go back to sleep. I'm like, awesome. The second you open your eyes and you feel you need to go to the bathroom, you say, it's so like me to fall right back to sleep. There's nothing else I need to do. And they've said that after five or six days of training their mind, their subconscious mind to do that, they're able to go into that restful state and go directly back to sleep. So it's almost as if you're, you dictate what you want to do. Just the same way that like we dictate and predict what we don't want.
0: How much has technology and devices and all of those things negatively impacted our sleep?
1: I don't think I can quantify an answer for that. But based on the amazing, brilliant scientists that I do know, I do know that like Wi Fi has a lot to do with it. There's something called dirty electricity, which is just a uh, surging signals that go through our house especially if you have a smart meter it's just constantly sending signals back to the towers letting them know how much electricity has been going on those are all micro uh, micro irritants to us at a cellular level like that's one also blue light I mean, we're in front of all these devices and blue light has a huge impact on the way that you are able to sleep um that's just the tip of the iceberg though
0: What are some tips that you might offer, Jeanette, to people, unlike me, who say they they can't even fall asleep? So what are some healthy sleep habits that you might recommend?
1: Well, if you have Wi-Fi, one of the cheapest, most effective ways to neutralize that is to put a timer. So if you have your Christmas tree timer and just plug it into the wall and then plug in your Wi-Fi and just make sure it turns off at whatever time you don't want to be on your device. It's a great babysitter for our (laughs) mental health too. Uh, I know when it it hits 10.30, mine turns off at 10.30, I'm like, oh man, my internet's not working. Oh yeah, I'm not supposed to be on it. And so it really protects you at that level. Um, I also say, take every single thing out of your bedroom that does not, the Marie Kondo term, spark joy. So take the bills out, take the pictures of those you're having any kind of quandary with. Get into a habit that if you don't like a color in your room, get it out. Um, it has to be the complete healing oasis that it needs to be in order for your body to heal and regenerate.
0: Talk a little bit about the individual. So we talked a little bit about the work that you do with medical professionals. Talk about the individual uh, coaching work that you do, particularly around those dealing with cancer, Jeanette.
1: Yeah, so I take my clients through what I call a 360 approach to living. A lot of my clients really come to me stage three, stage four, and they normally say, you know, say, what can I do? I was like, well, there's so much we can do. What do you want to start off with? What is that natural inkling that when you got your diagnosis, what did you immediately do? Uh, one of the fastest things that people lean towards is nutrition, food, and water. Like, that's the first things that people normally say, I'm going to change that. I just naturally changed it. And then um, for my elite clients before, Uh, corona, the coronavirus, Uh, I used to actually fly to my clients all over northern America, North America, and I would actually clean out their pantry, teach them how to take what on average 12 hours of labor and bring it down into four hours of labor by training their caregiver and an additional outside family member. It's crucial that there's an outside family member on a care team. So I would train them just how to compress time, how to collapse time and how to make the house a healing oasis, so healing can happen in between doctor visits, um, and they can focus on the most important thing: living, breathing, being without pain.
0: You talk on your website about lifestyle habits and mindset, and mm-hmm. you know, through all the interviews I've done on this podcast and various you know groups that are out there, I see so many challenges around mindset and what we yeah. tell ourselves, and the one I want. To kind of get your take on is, and I'm sure you've heard the term, Yeah. I have a scan coming up in a week, in two weeks, and I am already forecasting gloom and doom and torturing myself, and I don't know how to get out of that spin, so to speak. What would you say to those folks?
1: First of all, sending yourself a really big, huge virtual love hug to yourself. And to that body part, it's almost as if you give it a little bit of extra love and attention from the time now until your scan. Just saying, look, I love you. We're doing this to to be here. We're doing this to, to love ourselves. We're doing this and name every single person you're doing it for. So it's just having like building up that conversation with that part of your body. Then I have what's called a scan protocol. And so um, have you ever heard that song? And I wish I knew who sang it one way oh no oh, that was
0: blondie on, <laughs> blondie
1: okay so I always say depending on what machine you're using for the scan is seeing that and know that you are focusing and giving all of your manifesting powers to the machine to help them find anything if there is and to really work with the machine instead of being in contrast to it really being one with your machine to find it and be like I'm gonna find you and then I'm gonna get you get you get you get you, get you one <laughs> way and <laughs> So like starting off with something as light and playful as possible and then knowing that if this is a reoccurring scan you've had in the past, for some people it's their first scans, right? Uh, If it is a reoccurring scan, what has made you feel better? What do you not want after? What do you do want? And make sure you voice your, um, your plan of healing after. So for example, one of my clients, she says she doesn't want to talk to anybody. She just wants to be silent on the car ride home. So she voices that opinion to her loved ones. And then she says, I only want chicken noodle soup, this smell in the house, and I'll talk to you when I'm ready. And so it's really putting those ground rules so that nobody's like, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need anything? Are you okay? Uh, How are you feeling? Uh, You know, all of these questions that can feel burdensome.
0: That's helpful to know because the other night when I was having a little bit of a moment, I said to my wife, what I need is for you just to tell me it's going to be okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, you can't expect people to read your minds, right?
1: No, absolutely not. And right now, especially um, with the coronavirus changing medicine so rapidly, um, a lot of of people are going to these scans by themselves. So it's about having a conversation with your nurses and letting them know. I know close to 99% of my clients, say that they now after we go through the scan protocol they now tell the nurses when it's going happening can you hold my hand like this or hold my hand like this it's just the simplest human touch that makes all the difference
0: i'm sure you find i think it's stating the obvious that you know digging more into what you just said not being able to have somebody with you during some of these challenging times mm-hmm. requires more work on the patient's part
1: It requires more preparation, it requires more uh, communication with family members and care team, Um, and it also requires a new level of mindset and
0: resilience. There was a video I saw where you were interviewed, and it was on one of my, I don't know, favorites the right word, but one of the topics that hits very close to home, and I know so many people deal with this, and that is what we say to cancer patients.
1: I'm glad you saw that interview. I did.
0: I did. And the first thing that struck me was, I want to ask you about this going back to the first part of our conversation is many conversations I've had have been, what do do friends, family members, et cetera, say to a cancer patient? But the conversation I haven't had is, and fortunately I haven't experienced it, is sometimes what do medical professionals say to cancer patients? and you're nodding your head. We're not recording the video, so I'm sharing with our audience, you're nodding your head, and I'm getting a big reaction. So I'm just going to let you take it from here. What do you see is is the opportunities, and how do you coach the people you work with?
1: Don't assume. Don't blanket statement. Don't do what you think is right. Listen, and take your cues from your patients. Every single person I've ever worked with tells me, I told my doctor I didn't want to hear that and I wanted to hear this instead or I wanted this and they didn't say that. I said I need somebody who's going to put their hand on my shoulder and they didn't. That's one. Two is make sure you separate, if you are a practitioner listening, make sure you separate your cancer story and experience and opinion out of your treatment room and your clinic room because the person standing across from you has their own cancer story, experience, and opinion. And they might not be eye eye to eye. And so just having a common ground, like, hey, this is what I believe and this is what I want to do, allow the patient to also say, this is what I believe and this is what I want to do. Are we a good match? Should we work together? Should. Should.
0: Big word. Yeah. All right. So many people go to the doctor they're told to go to and do whatever they say and don't question anything.
1: I always say, you got to date an oncologist, you got to date them and hit next if you need to. Um, and not because I want to, you know, sound, sound however it's being taken, but because this is your life and you need someone on your team.
0: And they have to be on your team.
1: They have to be on your team. Being your, your catcher, pitcher, all the positions, first base, all the way to third base and back home again. Yeah.
0: And it's okay to separate, right? It's okay to divorce your oncologist if you're it's okay if you recommend dating it's also okay to get a divorce isn't it
1: It's the healthiest when that happens it's the healthiest when divorce happens with your patient your care team mm-hmm.
0: what's what are the signs a patient should look for that may tell them i didn't i didn't s I, I didn't I, swipe right on the right one <laughs> I think that's how it goes i've I i do not use that app uh, I'm happily married but um, i I've heard. <laughs>
1: I, I, I can't say that they are signs. I would just say it's an intuitive hit. It's like into something in your guts telling you. Um, if you felt like you weren't listened to, those are the two things. Listen to your gut and if you weren't being listened to, those are the only two kind of guidelines I can steer you down. Other than that, every single person that has divorced their, um, let's say oncologist or care team, all have something different that have said, what's the piece that just... Um, push them over. um, But they all said, but I knew it since the first day I met them. I knew it from the conversation. I just knew it, but I was trying to make it better. So it's listening to that inner voice inside. And are you being
0: listened to? Do you think a lot of it, Jeanette, is deferential? Oh, they're they're the doctor, right? We put them on a pedestal. Is that a piece of sometimes the uh, uncomfort or the, the fear of you know, not wanting to make waves, so to speak. I'm sure it could be,
1: absolutely. Um, but we all need doctors. We all need them to have that confidence. Sure. We we need to we need their um, we need their brilliant minds. Um, it's just finding one that's compatible to yours. Just like there's one. Just when we date, you know, there's <laughs> those who are like, oh my gosh, who could ever date that person? Um, you're going to find your perfect match, and when you do, it's beautiful. Yeah. And normally, there's tears and. There's a hand on a shoulder on a hand, something there 's always a hand somewhere, so if you are you know diagnosed right now during this pandemic and you are dating doctors, make sure you let them know hey i 'm going to need you to put your hand on me and then you can wash your hands and change your gloves, <laughs> but I want this, I need this and so just
0: just talk to them it 's interesting a, a friend of mine in the cancer community recently posted online a picture and she referred to it as her chemo nurse and now best friend right and and i and you you know as much as you hear some of the negative stories equally i hear it oh my god i love my doctor right and that's the word they use right we're talking that's about the, dating yeah. and then you hear yeah. some people i love my doctor right
1: yeah that's the best i mean i i'm getting emotional because um, there's nothing more sacred, a sacred relationship than the person literally trying to save your life. And there should be love involved. Healing doesn't happen unless love is involved. I
0: love it. Let's talk a little bit. I, I mentioned pediatric, uh, because I, in addition to everything else, as our listeners know, I'm also a pediatric cancer survivor. What about those that aren't able to convey their needs, Right. Let's let's talk about. You know, I think back many, many, many years. My parents who were looking out for me when I was five. Obviously, I couldn't tell my oncologist. Could you put your hand on me and tell me this? So, how does how or does it change in that kind of situation where the caregiver, or in this case, a parent, has a is the bigger role, so to speak? Or does it?
1: Yeah. I'm gonna ask you to narrow it down because you just had an
0: age bucket. <laughs> All right. So I'll use I'll use that one. Yeah. Uh because uh the 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 podcast is, is partnering with a wonderful organization. that's working with children. So let's talk about the parent of a child with cancer. Yeah, Is it the parent you know, should the parent Tell the doctor. I guess I'm saying the obvious, but you and that's okay. You can tell me that. You know, here's what I want you to do for my child, as opposed to I would say, here's what I want you to do for me.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say sometimes because um, there's there's so first of all, there's so much cancer diagnosis in the world. Right, two out of three adults will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime, um, and. Um, it can feel sometimes like if you've been hit, like in my family, hit with cancer so many times, it can feel like as, almost as if you know what to do, what's going to happen. And so when you direct or dictate what a, a cancer process should look like, sometimes you're cutting off beautiful miracles and treatments from happening. So when it comes to pediatric oncology, don't, don't ask exactly what you want. Ask, what are all possibilities? inside and outside of this clinic first. Then start collecting resources. Then do your research. Get someone outside of your family to be your research buddy with you.
0: Why somebody outside of your family?
1: We need a fresh perspective that's not, of course they're going to be emotionally involved, involved, but that they can kind of help ground you. That is not in the everyday, in the everyday life of the child. Uh, someone who you you tell them, hey, I want you to always help me advocate for my child, and if you need to, go against me. That's when I've seen the most potent, beautiful things emerge, when they actually take that advice and, and go forward. What
0: guided you to get into this line of work, Jeanette?
1: I feel as if it was a calling before I even knew it. Um, so my... Both of my grandparents, along with a lot of other people in my family, were diagnosed with cancers, tumors, different conditions and diseases. My sister and I were just at a funeral last week, and somebody just passed last night in our family. We've had had such a huge family that there's been deaths going on over and over, but what I always found was that when there was illness with laughter and love, it didn't hurt as bad. And this is just me growing up as a little one. And I always knew, like, if I can help them laugh, I can help them maybe heal a little, little bit. Or if I can help them with a fragrance or smell, like, it will help them a little bit more. So it wasn't until, like, I believe 2014, 15, my grandmother, she was now the matriarch of our family, was diagnosed after very long, long, long misdiagnosed, um... Uh, experience and i was working in a construction industry that was not the healthiest ever it was a little rather toxic i'm sure if you looked me up you, you heard that already and i decided to bring her home to live with us and simultaneously my mom and my dad also were diagnosed with different conditions and diseases so i was literally a what i call reluctant caregiver doing it for the right reasons but not sure what I was getting into. So I became a caregiver overnight to three people. Surgery, 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 all within two weeks of each other. And it was hard because I saw um, I saw each one of their experiences so different. It was almost as a Russian roulette. If they didn't advocate, they didn't ask, they didn't say something, their experiences would go a totally different direction. If we were not present or um, stating their desires, it would go a different direction as well. And I also had other conditions, but I was like a medical anomaly, right? They couldn't find out when I really realized it was me holding this weight of their lives on my shoulders, all three of them, and wanting to be a caregiver and not sleeping and waking up, helping with the chemo itch, helping with everything, the best of my abilities. And I became addicted to um, what you can do at home, how to help them heal right it's this process of healing uh, how to help them start healing at home and um literally found google found people to mentor me uh found quite a few uh forums and found oncologists that would answer the question what would you do if this was your mom at home what would you do if this was your sister at home How would you do if this was your dad at home and they all said laughter yoga water, eating, sleeping, like just the simplest things. I was like, well, who teaches this stuff? I didn't learn this stuff in school. Who teaches this stuff? And I realized there was something called a coach, a lifestyle coach, and just kind of threw myself down that rabbit hole. And I now am certified in quite a few different coaching modalities, close to like, I think 11 or 17. I really don't know. I don't know how many of these are still active. <laughs> um, and uh, even taught it for a while and
0: yeah. And you even you're based in California but you even travel to other states to do this type of work too, mm-hmm. do not you?
1: Yeah. All over the United States and Canada so far.
0: Very very and I'm sure just doing that type of work must bring some healing qualities back to you. Right?
1: Absolutely. It's it's a cycle. Like I I heal better and better with every client that starts healing. Um but you asked me what got me into it. So it was not until my grandmother, sorry, I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, it was not until my grandmother was in a place where her, her cancer was not spreading. She was, they just said, you know, go ahead, safe to travel. She can live her life. She just has to come back for rescans. And we went off on vacation and came back and we were in the magical waters of Hawaii. And we came back and uh, she's like, I feel a lump. Within 24 hours, because she kept saying, I don't want I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this again. Within 24 hours, she had a stroke. And it was this fear of treatment, this fear of cancer coming back with vengeance that we kind of believe contributed to the stroke. So I saw the sign, she, she, she was holding a fork, dropped it, started eating with her hands, didn't respond to her name, grabbed her, little 96 pound emergency room, we were able to mitigate that. But after that, it was, it was a long road to recovery. And ultimately, it was the mindset that's, that stopped her. It wasn't even the cancer. It was her mindset that didn't allow her to see another way. And that's when I became addicted to understanding the mindset, the subconscious mind, and also societal pressures.
0: Do you feel that what's going on with, with COVID has a ripple effect in terms of, you know, people let's say you know who are dealing with cancer and now you get layer on you know a major stress like that you know and those kinds of things
1: well based on science uh when you are diagnosed with cancer your immune system drops uh 60 okay this is just with a diagnosis and it's been said anywhere from 20 to 45 percent to the ones that love that person that's diagnosed so if stress does that with a word, imagine that word traveling throughout the entire world with this word named COVID. Um, so yes, I absolutely believe that. Is there, is there any research on it right now? No. And so I, 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 maybe I should say this. I'm not a medical professional at all. And so anything that I say is please seek your medical uh, team first and then, uh, Use your own judgment. But no, I can't say anything for sure, but I can say I'm sure what the ripple effect will be shown sooner than later, will be seen sooner than later to what degree I'm not sure.
0: But just in general, there's been a lot of, there has been studies on stress and those kinds of things, and it doesn't take a professional to tell anybody that what's going on in the world right now is certainly stressful. Uh (laughs) So you can mm-hmm. easily connect the dots. Yeah. Well, Jeanette, I really appreciate the generosity of your time and, uh, sharing not just your story, but really some guidance and some tips that can help our listeners, whether they be patients, caregivers, or medical professionals, uh, a different take than we've had, uh, or not, not, a different take, I should say, but a, a topic that we've not explored, uh, you know, too deeply in the past. So for that, I'm Truly grateful for to you and for your time.
1: Thank you, Lee. I'm here. I'm here for it. And anybody else who has the heart to serve cancer patients,
0: certainly. And uh, just uh, hit rewind. You can check out the introduction and where I uh, gave all the information where you can uh, find Jeanette, learn more about her. But uh, just as a reminder, on Instagram at healing underscore mindset underscore, and via her website at JeanetteCarbahal Jeanette, thank you again. Be well. The Colon Cancer Coalition has all kinds of wonderful events taking place in the coming months. Various ways that you can get out and move, whether it's get your rear in gear with a run-walk event or a golf event through the Caboose Cup, uh, Tour de Tush bike rides, lots of ways you can support the amazing work that the Colon Cancer Coalition does to raise awareness and fund local organizations that are making a difference in the world of colorectal cancer. You can check out all of their events by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC for Colon Cancer Coalition, and you can find an event in your neighborhood. Many are taking place in person, but they virtually, all of them have virtual components as well if that's your preference. So once again, support the Colon Cancer Coalition by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter.